United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Man, it's been 12 years since the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi. Where does the time go? Thomas Hill is Senior Program Officer for North Africa at the U.S. Institute of Peace, here to talk about the U.N.'s Libya mission. Hi, Thomas. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great. Great to have you. So I I do feel like we've lost track of Libya. Like, like, you know, there's just too much, right, sometimes to focus on in (laughs) Libya kind of can get lost. Uh, So what's what's the situation there? What's the status 12 years on after Gaddafi? Well, unfortunately, um, not much has changed, or at least not changed for the better. Um, We're still in a situation where we have competing factions, both claiming uh, to be the legitimate government of of Libya. Both um, are illegitimate in the sense that they uh, do not, uh, they're not seated on uh, after elections that were deemed free and fair or uh, on on existing mandates. So, Violence continues. Um, we're in a, a, a position where um, the world has kind of turned its back, but uh, Libya continues to be a mess. Uh, what is daily life like there for the people? Well, uh, the country was hit very hard by COVID, as you can imagine. A, a country without a functioning government wasn't well equipped to deal with the the COVID crisis or get out vaccinations um, in, a, in a well thought out way. Um, obviously, um, the war in Ukraine has changed things, um, in terms of the global energy markets. And so Libya has benefited from, uh, higher prices, but, uh, but su- supply chain shortages, um, have devastated the country. And so, uh, basic foodstuffs are very difficult to come by. Um, so while some people are making a lot of money, the country overall is, is faring very poorly. God, what a mess. So what is the UN mission there? Like, what's, what are they trying to achieve? How have they failed? Well, the UN um, came in because nobody else wanted to own the Libya problem post-2011. It was um, deemed that it was going to be a quagmire, that Iraq had, and Afghanistan had demonstrated that the West was unable to deal with these post-conflict environments. And so let's just kind of give it to the UN to solve now that we've ousted Muammar Gaddafi. And in part, um, that decision was made because the Libyans themselves didn't want uh, colonial powers or former colonial powers making decisions on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, the result is that what they got was a, a UN body that didn't have a peacekeeping mission, that didn't have um, an enforcement capability. It was just a the, the ability to cajole or convince people to act uh, in ways that you would you would expect them to do on behalf of a country. Well, no surprise, um, the the people that came into power were self serving, and they they had um, external patrons who were also self serving, and they advanced their own narrow self interests against the interests of the country as a whole. And the UN has been powerless to stop it. The real tragedy, I think, for the UN is that the UN um, continues to try and member states continue to say the UN should lead, the UN should be empowered to do all these things. And then those same countries, those same member states, go out and do and act in ways that undermine everything that they've said about the UN's role. So <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a 
it's a really terrible situation, I think, that the UN is in. Um, and they're kind of powerless to stop it. God, imagine being at the UN and they give you this for your job. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. just endless futility. And the UN, as you report, was only supposed to be in there for three months. Well, the idea was that, that they would come in, help the Libyans set up a, a, a functioning government that would create a constitution and they'd have elections, etc. But it was not supposed to be permanent. But as we've seen elsewhere around the world, these UN missions end up becoming permanent. Um, because the conflicts drag on and on and on. Um, What I think is really challenging is that nobody has taken a step back and said, look, it's 12 years later. Um, Do we really need to rethink what the UN's role is rather than just kind of clicking replay on the mandate and just giving them another three months, a year to work on these problems? Um, I think a more rational approach would be to say, look, the situation's changed over 12 years. The actors have changed. The needs have changed. Uh, so the UN needs to change as well. And so let's re-envision what we want the UN to do and how it's going to act. And the mandate will reflect that. Um, what is Libya to the U.S. at this point? And shouldn't we be in there ruining it for everyone? Isn't that our job? <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to those who say that, that Libya is not our, our problem to solve because it is indeed Europe's backyard and the Europeans have been very clear that that they prefer to solve their the problems that are closest to them um, and that they don't need the Americans to, to solve their problems. Um, but here's an uh, until example they do. Where the Euro- <laughs> right. Yeah, and here's an example <laughs> where, the, where the Europeans have been unable to. And so the, the, what this has demonstrated is that the Europeans may think that they want to solve this problem or think that they can solve this problem without our help, but they clearly have not. And our, our value is really, I think, in organizing the international community. It's not in terms of getting in directly involved. Everyone who's a spoiler or doing something unhelpful in Libya is nominally a friend of ours. And so we can be a better actor in this in this conflict or trying to resolve this conflict by just getting our quote-unquote friends to act um, in ways that are in the best interest of living people. Sounds a hopeless business, Thomas. Well, um, I mean, what it does have going for it that you, can, you, you would say other places don't is that there is an enormous wealth. It's a, a huge country and it's got very few people. So there's a lot of quote unquote pie to be shared. There's mm. a lot to go around. And um, so it, it does have the potential to be a very, very well-off place with a high standard of living. And it's so close to Europe. I mean, th- it has advantages other places just don't. And so if they can ever kind of put their house in order and the, and, and the people who are the external actors who are being so destructive inside the country can get out or get minimized or marginalized. I think the Libyans have a real chance to do something special. Did you ever see that episode of Bourdain when he went to Tripoli? I did. It's um, really good. It, it was really good. Well, he did some um, visits and as, as my recollection, and again, I don't remember all the details, but he found that the people themselves still had a lot of hope. And yes. a lot of uh, um, desire to to see things get better, and that was encouraging. Yeah, he thought it was a great place, a little menacing, but the people there just really just wanted to live their lives. 
They just they just wanted to be happy. And I think that's true in a lot of these places that if you it, it's it's political, economic um, um, elites who have control over the levers of power who are trying to make their own friends and cronies uh, benefit from a system. It's the people who get lost in those those kinds of situations. But, but I think they generally people around the world just kind of want to exist, live their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thomas Hill, Senior Program Officer for North Africa at the United States Institute of Peace. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.